1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Reporting is Eligible. I'm Paul Noonan, right for Acme Packing Company, the Shepherd Express, um, and do the Wonky's Tailgate podcast, and baseball is about to enter lockdown mode. Um, this is, <laughs> yeah, very depressing. Uh, this is the uh, the episode just after the Packers just trounced the Rams pretty good, going into the bye week, getting some rest, getting people healthy, um, and uh, it, it couldn't come at a better time because they are just so beat up. Um but a uh, good way to go in. I think uh, most people thought they were going to lose this game, and they absolutely did not. And uh, joining me to talk about this and answering just just a ton of listener questions this week.
0: <laughs> hey, it's Jr. Radcliffe, training sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I want I want to hear somebody say the line. No, the bye week isn't really coming at a good time, because I feel like every <laughs> team, no matter when the bye falls, decides that because they have at least one injured player, because it's the NFL, and of course they have at least one key player injured, they always say, well, it's uh, it's a good time for the bye. I can't believe there's still, and Aaron Rodgers pointed this out on the Pat McAfee show today as we're recording this that uh, there are still four teams that have not that don't get the buy this week, but have to wait another week yeah, to get the buy. You should not be getting a buy in December in the middle of December. That's egregious.
1: That's insane. Um, and, and I do feel like when we, I think we had a week four, not that long ago. And I feel like we did not say it on week four. I think we actually did go the other way on that. Like this is crappy. A bad time. Yeah, for bad, the time buy. For the bad time for the bad, bad time for um, the buy. I, I kind of feel like like a, a decade or so ago, um, they had uh, buys every week of the season um, for some reason, and then decided that was the stupidest thing ever and changed it. So it could be worse, but uh, it's it's not great to have them that late. It's it's kind it's quite ridiculous. Though.
0: Yeah, I think um, you might be right about that. I think ultimately there's there there the answers to that. Not to like just hijack this right off the bat, talk about <laughs> buys, but like I mean, unfortunately for the NFL, it, it's not going to work out because they don't want to have more than like two games off of a full docket in any given week. So they're not gonna ideally what they should do is just have like week six and week seven and week eight be like, you know, eight teams a crack, but they're not gonna do that. So either when we get to a second buy schedule, you know, either they add a game and have a second buy where you know you get an early and a late and then it's staggered for everybody in kind of a, an equitable amount, or they they just like have a week off in the middle of the season, which of course they're not going to do. They're not going to say, all right, week eight is our all-star game, you know, like where nobody's playing They're They're not going to do that. So I don't, I don't honestly expect anything to change, but it, you know, if you're a player on one of those teams, Indianapolis Colts, for example, or the Patriots. And I mean, I mean those two teams have done pretty well this year, but like you're coming up and, and you got to wait till week freaking 14 before you can get healthy or, or take a week off. That's, that's a that's a dangerous situation. That's too many weeks it in a is. row of playing high-level football.
1: I am genuinely surprised that that we had don't have two buys yet. And there there used to be two buys. That was a thing that existed in the past. Briefly, and, yes. And it seems to solve a lot of the problems that the NFL has. Like it would make Thursday games a lot easier to schedule. It would get people much healthier. It would drag out, well, not drag out, but you get to have another TV game. Like you get more TV revenue if you have an 18-week season.
0: It, and I don't understand why we start started like it used to be you started in September like the beginning of September we're not getting that you know they're waiting that extra week yeah so I feel like they have the capacity to do it I don't understand why they wouldn't want that
1: yeah it it seems like everybody would agree too like players would agree like every why would who would be against it it's one of the few things in right. football like everybody would be on the same side um uh, let's
0: say the Super Bowl goes to the second week of February are people going to care about that yeah, I mean, they moved it before
1: it, like it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter at all it's February you're not in competition with anything you're playing it in a nice place with good weather so it's not like the weather is impacting you like baseball has to get done before it starts to snow <laughs> like that's a thing that has to happen football doesn't have that at all they play in bad weather in inside places in hot weather places it's, it's ridiculous anyway that's that's a lot of talk about the actual concept of buys going into the <laughs> bye week it's very thematic yeah
0: and we have I, I feel like we've yet to fully settle on what we're gonna do for next week's episode when there is no game to discuss, but uh but we've been throwing around some ideas, yeah. some
1: possibilities. I think I think we're gonna do that one thing. So that makes a lot. Right. That's so fun. do we tell them what the one thing is? Uh, I think we, we should. Sure, let's tell them. We, uh, you tell yeah, we're gonna. Idea. <laughs> we're, I mean, the Bears are coming up
0: after the bye, so we're just gonna do great moments in uh Packers versus Bears history. We'll just do a little draft like we've done before. We draft our favorite moments. There's probably a bunch that you're thinking of right now off the top of your head, and uh, we'll just we'll just dive in on them a little bit. Maybe we can find some facts that people may not know, yeah. involving Chester Markle, perhaps involving <laughs> a, a great second half resurrection, perhaps involving maybe, DJ Raji's dance moves, maybe
1: Edgar Bennett, oh, maybe,
0: Edgar maybe, Bennett. maybe maybe maybe. The one that you know, I love, involving uh, a certain announcer saying, "What, what, what do they say, Eric Cobb? What is the name of Randall Cobb's name <laughs> as as shouted?" Uh, oh, what does Packer. he say? He doesn't say well, Reggie, we'll, right?
1: Who, who? was yeah. actually a Packer, but uh, different story. Y-
0: yes, <laughs> that's a totally different ball game there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll look into that. That'll be what we do next week, and then we'll also preview the actual Bears. Yes, we will do
1: that because there will be. There's something to say about the Bears, and it might be quite a lot by then. It might be a big, new, like the Bears, the big rumor was that uh, Negi was going to be fired if they certainly lost to the Lions, which they did not do, um, because nobody loses to the Lions. <laughs> and so he still has his job, but I, I suspect his leash is extremely short. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens leading up to the Packers game.
0: Man, do the Lions always find a way to lose creatively? Yeah, just they're not even really
1: that bad. Like most teams that go all defeated are really a pain to watch. Like they don't move the ball, they don't do anything interesting. Lions games are pretty fun. They're like they're like the fun wrestling jobber who puts on a good show before <laughs> just getting crushed.
0: Doink. Yeah. Like doink.
1: They're doink the clown. That is that is perfect. <laughs> Speaking
0: of doinks, no, no, we we won't get to the special teams at all yet. <laughs> uh but Let's, uh a good transition yeah, nonetheless but yeah possibly yeah i watched the lions on thanksgiving in kentucky with my family uh lots of bourbon to be had um and then i also listened to last week's reporting is eligible which i was not available for but uh listened to you in text talk and it's so funny because again and and i, I like i'm not like picking on you or anything because i thought the same thing you guys slightly touched on the subject of when would be an appropriate time to punt on a game because I think everybody with half a brain felt like the Packers were going to have an uphill battle in this game. And, you know, we talked about it in the Kansas city game when Aaron Rodgers didn't play and that turned out to be super competitive. I feel like we brought it up again at some other point. I mean, I, I, we kind of have to just not ever doubt Aaron Rodgers If he's healthy, it feels like it does not matter who else is there. And I mean, that's easy to say. We could, we've been saying this for years, but I mean, that was a really astonishing performance. They were the better team, which I absolutely would not have seen coming. You know, maybe they sneak out a win, but they didn't sneak out a win. It ended up being a little tense at the end, but not because it was a close yeah, game. Wasn't the really Packers were better.
1: Yeah, they were They were clearly better. I, I, Aaron played very well, and um, there were a few little hiccups early that the offense had, but generally speaking, I mean, they scored a ton of points. But I think the main lesson from this one was, all of those dropped interceptions against Minnesota, uh, all of those plays that just barely got away from them were kind of flukes. And, you know, most of the season they, they actually made those plays and against the Rams, they totally made those plays. They, Rashawn Gary had a strip sack and Russell Douglas had pick six and they forced a special teams fumble, which is the upset of the year. Um, and the, that Adrian Amos stuff on fourth and one, like that's a turnover too. We shouldn't ignore that one. Um, it was at the Rams twenty nine yard line. <laughs> um, and as good as well, not the pick six, but you know, as good as most turnovers that you'll get. Um, so the defense, after having a real real tough week, really struggling with Kirk Cousins, um, they showed up big time and just completely harassed Matthew Stafford and shut that team down. Rashawn Gary beating a very good
0: granted, he's forty years old, but tackle and Andrew Whitworth and on a bad arm. Like we didn't know for sure if Rashawn Gary was going to play that. That's the play of the game. It starts things off. You know, all he did was tap Matthew Stafford's elbow, which is a little weird, but uh, forces the fumble and, uh, and it winds up putting the Packers in position to score that first touchdown. And they never did trail. I mean, like, you know, it was, it was dicey a little bit at at times, uh, especially in the first half. It wasn't settled. They gave up some big plays, but man, defensively overall, they're just, there's just a really good football team. And, yeah. and I, I, you know, I've, I'm trying not to put myself in the headspace of, well, when they get all these good guys back, Jair Alexander and, and Zedaria Smith, you know, I feel like we're building up a little bit with the assumption that they will get those guys back. Which I, I don't not. know.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. I, I don't know if I'd feel safe saying that I think it's possible they don't. Uh, but, uh, If those guys are indeed at full strength, it is it is really crazy to think what they have here. I mean, they've got guys who will not be on the field that are starting caliber players for a team. Roswell Douglas comes to mind, starting caliber players for a team that can compete for the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, again, this is a reminder. I I was I was a little down on this team after the Vikings game, even though everything went wrong for the Packers. You know, they played okay and they just kind of lost some breaks. I thought, are they really a Super Bowl team now without Elton Jenkins? Well, then they play the Rams. It's like,
1: I mean, duh, of course they are. <laughs> yep. Um, and Douglas, uh, by Pro Football Focus, currently ranks 32nd of 118 corners for a guy off a practice squad. Um, that's incredible. I mean, you have to consider every team in the NFL goes three deep for starting corners. To be in the top tier of that is is very impressive for a guy off the street. Guess who 31 is? Tell me. It's Kevin King. Oh,
0: what? <laughs> I know. No, right? no. Sometimes PFF no. has
1: trouble. They. Uh...
0: <laughs> I like how we. This is like we'll trust the science as long as as long we as it's in our favor. Yeah. yeah yes follows our premise. Well, okay.
1: uh, well, on, on on the other hand, I think none of us believe Kevin King is the 31st best corner in the league. <laughs> and Roswell Douglas is, I think, makes a lot of sense, he, and maybe should even be a little bit higher. Frankly, um, uh, they they gave Rashawn Gary an absurdly low, like 54 for this game, which. I mean, he was in the backfield every play. I don't know what they're watching half the time. But uh, th- th- everybody who's playing on the field is showing up anyway. It barely matters. The only guy who had a really bad game on defense was Chandon Sullivan, who just got torched like five different ways on the same play. Like let a guy get on the wrong side of him, fell down, didn't didn't interfere, didn't tackle the guy while he was grabbing him and falling down. Like there's only so many ways you can screw up in pass defense and Chandon did all of them. Um but People t- named Jefferson, man, get them <laughs> off the schedule. Yeah, Von Jefferson had a had a really nice game. Um, but well, he had one really nice play in like two other. Catches. That's true. He but had an MVS. an MBS nice game. Yes, it's
0: still a good game. Still yeah, a good. Game. Still a good game. Uh, MVS had a good MVS game. I know we'll get there, but
1: <laughs> did he? I don't think he did. Um, did he?
0: Well, oh wait. You know what?
1: I'm conflating. I think I'm thinking the big pass play is him, but no, 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 it's not.
0: Yeah, Uh, I'm I'm conflating what
1: he did in the previous game. Devontae and Randall, they had good games. They had very good, efficient games. Um, MVS had another pretty inefficient day. A lot of targets, not a lot of catches, and did not bust a 75-yarder. And uh, trying to pull up pro football uh, reference, but it is just dragging. Um, uh, Again, if anybody from pro football reference listens to the podcast... Please fix your ads. They are terrible right now. They take up all the whole screen. They slow everything down. Uh, that <laughs> th- thank you for this public service announcement. Um, but uh, yeah, so
0: since I since I didn't talk about the Vikings game, I still I was still thinking. Oh, we haven't mentioned that long touchdown to MBS, but that's not this game. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I've seen a lot of people, including um, the other one of the other APC podcasts, uh, Tyler and Chris's one yesterday, um, mention that. The, talk about Aaron's deep ball being back and I don't really think that's the case. Um he, he did hit a, a couple of nice ones in this game. The one to, the one to DeVonte was like a just a beautiful throw. But I also feel like he, he hasn't had a problem connecting with DeVonte deep, it's just that DeVonte doesn't run deep routes that much and when he does, it means he's open. Like he saw something at the snap that made him, you know, change his route to a deep pass, which was the case here. It, it looks very clearly that um Devontae called this um, midway through the play and decided to go deep and it worked really well. Um On the left side, Aaron has really good numbers going deep. And that's Devontae's side most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. MVS is almost always right. And if you look at the next-gen stats grid of Aaron Rodgers passing, deep right is the deepest red on his chart. It's the only place he struggles. And I think part of that is because he does try and force it to MVS when he's not necessarily open. And he did that in this game and and hit him. Um, MVS did have a a deep opportunity that hit him right in the hands, but it was into double coverage. And MVS is not good at fighting off defenders it's just not his game he's good at being open and being fast um but uh it it's it did not click you know the Cobb and the Adams passes were great there were a bunch of other deep passes that were either out of bounds or into coverage and I still think he's struggling a bit there but it doesn't really matter he's good at everything else
0: yeah and I think if I think the consequence you'd be talking about correct me if I'm wrong but if Rogers' deep ball is is not going to come back, so to speak, and I think we've seen enough this year to suggest that he's probably not going to be doing much, you might get one a game to a game, but yeah. it's, not, it's not really happening, and a toe injury isn't going to make it any better, and if MVS can't fight through traffic, that's not going to make it better, so the consequence is, is MVS, should he be on the field? Because <laughs> it doesn't do any good, and like, well, he's a good blocker, so that's part of it too, but it doesn't do any good to, to have a deep threat on the field if you don't have a quarterback that's going to be able to hit the deep threat and and work with you that way so you know do they do they try other things and like Devonte, i mean like you said Devonte's value is just being available almost instantly off the line he's just so good he yeah. jukes everybody out of their shorts like you don't want him going deep because he can get you a clean 10 yards and you could they did that in this game you know 10 yards 12 yards you know second down you know the seven yards they need and A.J. Dillon beating people up in the meantime like they, they don't they don't necessarily need the deep threat to put up the big number that they did in that game against the Rams
1: yeah the, I would like to see them give him a, a little bit more diversity in his deep balls because he really is running flies on the right pretty often that, They really look the same all of them that right. 75 yarder last week was a rare MVS is in the slot um, play and mm-hmm. you can see how that worked like Eric yeah, Rogers hit him right in stride it was perfect um, so I, I do think part of it is Rogers just isn't as good at throwing that way for whatever reason. Um, you know, mechanics are different all across the field. And right-handed guys are not always the best at throwing same side deep. So there's some something there. But um, I, I think he's still worth having on the field. I just wish they'd use him a little more creatively down the field. You know, guys can run more than just flies. Um, and even maybe just flipping it once in a while and having Adams go right and MVS go left and go deep and see how they respond to that. But um, it's not like he doesn't ever get open. It's just a, a kind of a a bunch of things coming together that keep foiling those deep passes. And of course, when we're talking offense, we have to talk about the stars of the show here,
0: the makeshift offensive line that held the Rams to one sack for like zero yards on a, on a trip <laughs> up. And uh, Aaron Donald trying to strangle guys and uh, you know, not hearing from him or Von Miller or... You know, Leonard Floyd, like Leonard Floyd is an afterthought on this line. This line should be crushing people. And despite not having Elton Jenkins or David Bakhtiari, they absolutely held their own. Yash Naiman was great. He was, uh, I, I, the times I was watching him, he wasn't getting help either. He just was clean. Yeah. It was it was no big deal. Um, I know Aaron Rodgers had the comment after the game. He didn't even have to think about that side. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but. Um, he said it. Just so. <laughs> Just wild, wild execution. From just a bu- I mean, I know we say this every week, how good the Packers and Adam Stenovich and the Packers at, you know, recruit in that recruiting, but uh, identifying talent on the line and produ- producing it. But like, <laughs> it's just it's just amazing to me that a team with Josh Nyman at left tackle and what they have up the middle, which still could stand to be better, was able to shut down presumably the best pass rush in football.
1: Yep. Um, they keep not suffering the losses of people on the line. It's really incredible. Part of it is Aaron, who is just a, a wizard at moving in the pocket and getting the ball out um i we've talked about this over the many years of this podcast sometimes it is a little to their advantage that he's not able to sit back there forever and hold the ball and it does force him to play a little bit more urgent um you know you don't want him dying but he's good at that he's really good at that and um that also helps them to compensate but they have all played really well too and and yosh was frankly incredible against a very tough a very tall task um I, that the biggest strength I felt the Rams had over the Packers in this game was that they would just be in his face, especially up the middle all day uh, and it just never happened it, it it was a a brilliant performance by an underman line. still wanted to get Batiari back soon, but um it it was it was great. Um, I don't know how they do it that it, I guess coaching and scheme and uh, they're they're smart. <laughs>
0: I had somebody in my mention suggest that Aaron Donald was overrated uh, or I don't, I mean, three-time defensive player of the year. Like no one thinks he's actually overrated, but maybe that, <laughs> may, you know, maybe he's on the decline or whatever, but I don't think that's true necessarily. I mean, you said there was a stat that indicated he was a, I didn't, I guess I haven't been too in tune with, with football war, you know, wins above replacement, that, that he's one of the highest non-quarterbacks out there, yeah, essentially. Yeah.
1: So I'll, I'll start the caveat here with I don't think the football war works very well at this point. Um, part of the reason just being the quarterbacks take up so much of it. And uh, yeah, well, pro football focus has been trying this forever. Uh, and they get really granular, like they do it to the 10th place. And like when you're doing guys who are contributing far less than a win a game to the tenth place. It gets very whatever. Caveats aside, um, they've been trying to track who the most valuable players are, other than quarterbacks, forever, which I think is a valuable exercise. And uh, Eric Eager tweeted today that there are five. I said four in my tweet, but there's five guys um, who are worth more than half a win and not quarterbacks. One of them is Devontae Adams, who is worth uh, almost exactly half a win, and I-, I think that checks out. He is, you know, his target share is like highest in the league. Um, the Packer offense doesn't really work without him very well. Um, but th- two of the others are on the Rams and that's Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, both worth half a win. So, um, that's, I think a, a testament to Aaron Donald at least not being bad. His, I mean, his scouting's great this year. His stats are great this year. It's hard to say he's taken a step back. just really seems like the Packers have his number and uh, really do a good job of getting inside his head. Um, we'll see what, uh, what John Runyon senior has to say about the chokehold later on <laughs> this week. Um, Which is a fun little nugget as well. Um, uh, Because John Runyon Jr. was standing right there watching it. (laughs) That he was. Got a good view. Uh, Shoot. I could not pull up the other two real quick. I believe Trent Williams was one of the other guys. Yeah, that's what
0: you have here. Yep, yep. Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Trent Williams, Devontae Adams. But there
1: is one more, and I can't think of who it was. Uh, Hmm. Anyway, whatever. Not a big deal. It wasn't somebody. It was not a Packer or a Ram or anything like that. uh, Got it. All right, so uh, overall, though, you think the offense
0: wasn't, even though we've just talked about all the things that were working, that maybe they 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 weren't great. I don't know how do how do you evaluate the offense in this game?
1: I think it's a little hard. So they were definitely good. They they um, but they didn't have an easy time of it. And so I I just actually rewatched it um a little bit before I put my kids to bed, and uh, I, I, they were I, I thought they were. Uh, they were better than I originally thought because they were just grinding clock for the the most part later on in the game. And AJ Dillon's stat line reflects them trying to do that. Like he did not run for a ton of yards, but he was effective moving the chains and they had a bunch of drive stall out late um, because of that. Uh, But uh, early they were dynamite. I thought they had like only one drive that was a full length of the field drive. That's not true. They had two and they only had the opportunity for like three. So they were actually really good. They just got put in really good position by their defense on several occasions, and and they converted those. So, um, I would have liked them to like to see them punch in a couple of the, the the turnovers with touchdowns instead of field goals. After that, Adrian Amos stopped. They didn't gain a single yard and kicked a field goal right away. But uh, all in all, they were great and they were good. Both meticulously moving the ball down the field. They had a giant drive coming out of the coming out of the second half um, to score a touchdown. But they also had a good quick strike offense in the first half, and um, on a couple bombs with Cobb and Adams chipping in. So uh, they they were they were a little um, I would like to have seen them a little more aggressive later, but whatever, it's fine. They got up to a huge lead in the ground clock, so yeah, it's hard to actually say that they were anything other than great because they did exactly what they had to do to win. Sure, man. I
0: can't. This team is nine and three. They've got tiebreakers over. Really, two of the teams that I would say are their chief competition for for the one seed being Arizona and, uh, you know, now the Rams. Arizona's schedule is, I think, pretty tough. They do play the Bears and Lions, so, you know and the Seahawks, I guess, can't be counted on to do much. Although I wouldn't necessarily rule out the Seahawks on the last day of the season in, uh, in Arizona, but they also have, they themselves have to face the Rams in Arizona on Monday night football. They have to play the Colts. That's also at home. Uh, and then the Cardinals and Cowboys square off and that's going to benefit the Packers either way. Cause yep. both of those teams are in the mix here. I, I mean, the Packers right now have a slight edge over the Cowboys and, and the Cardinals are the only team ahead of them. And we know that if they draw back, pull back into a tie that the Packers own that tiebreaker. So, uh, they've just got to be tickled pink that they've done all of this without Bakhtiari, that they've done <laughs> most of this without. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I could say unequivocally they're two best defensive players. I'd probably put Kenny Clark in there, but two of their top three, I think, depending on how how much you've used the Darius Smith uh, without them pretty much all season long. Yeah. So, uh, man, it's just uh, I, don't, I don't know who uh, who we laid you know, other than Aaron Rodgers, who you laid this at the feet of, but, uh, feet, Aaron Rodgers. Um, but this is, this is, uh, this is a great setup. I, yep. I mean, and I, I don't know why I feel differently about this year's team versus last year's last year's team w- was also very good, put themselves in a great position. And and I just, I didn't feel throughout the course of the season that that team truly was, a Super Bowl team. Now, once they get to the NFC championship game, you have to, you know, all they have to do is win a game. So yeah. you have to, you have to assess them as such at that point. But this team, because I think there's still so much they can get back. They could get in theory so much better. I just feel like this team and, and the Vikings loss was kind of, kind of fluky. Like you look at it, it's like they should have won that game. Yeah. And you feel like nine times out of 10, eight times out of 10, they do win that game. So now it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know why it's different for me this year, but I I'm I really am starting to fully believe in this team as a Super Bowl contender.
1: I think for me, it's as simple as, um, in the past, they've occasionally put together some good defensive performances with Mike Patton and Dom Capers, but they've really needed everybody to be there. And that just doesn't happen in an NFL season. Um, you are eventually going to have some guys go down and lose people. And you can't just go to pieces when that happens. Like... Um, the Capers' went to p- defense always went to pieces when Matthews got hurt. Um, it's one of the reasons they lost the 2014 NFC Championship game is because he had a hammy and they couldn't compensate for ha- not having him out there. And um, Patton's defenses just couldn't withstand losing corners. It, it just didn't work at all. Um, so we've seen this defense already play better than many of those defenses with their health issues already in front of us. I, it gives you a lot more confidence that they can withstand um injuries as they come up and actually still play good defense once the playoffs arrive with also the hope of getting guys back and healthier and maybe ascending to a top five defense uh instead of a top 10 defense and you know you give Aaron even top 10 defense you're already a Super Bowl contender by the way they're 13th in DVOA um on defense but they are a top 10 pass units and they're for some reason they're like 27th against the run but if you go and look at their their run defense stats especially over the last four weeks I don't know how they're that low they have they have shut guys down. Now they've gotten a little help by um, some guys getting hurt, but no running backs are gashing the Packers. And, and even like the, the times they've given up huge running games, like Washington got them for a lot, but a lot of that was was Taylor Henicky scrambling for ninety yards. Um, I don't understand their uh, their rush DVOA, and that sticks out in EPA stats too. I, I went and looked at like per down stats. The only time they're really bad against the run is on second down. Which who cares? It's second down. Like I, if if I'm gonna get gashed on the run on any down, that's the one I want to get gashed on. I don't, uh, <laughs> whatever. Um, so I think that they are just looking like a a strong team that's not gonna fall apart. And we haven't had that. They were pretty good defensively, um, like going into Tampa last year, except for Kevin King on the outside, who was hurt, who was questionable in that game. And you saw what happened. That's not going to happen this year. They're not going to, uh, you know, they'll put somebody healthy out there. They'll, they're will they not going to p- make themselves exposed like that. So um, I think that they are absolutely a Super Bowl contender. It's hard to find anybody else um, who looks better than they do, who is who's as solid front to back. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, even if you point
0: out the, the deficiencies they've had, Find a team that's better. I, I mean, I would, I would still take them over Arizona. There's five games left on the schedule. Three of them are at Lambeau Field. One is in Detroit. So you know, <laughs> and, and anything can happen in a given week. So it's, it's, it's a fool's errand to try to like look at the schedule and decide where the wins are coming from. But obviously, outside of that win, or that uh, the game in Baltimore, yeah. it, all of these games are games the Packers will be heavily favored to win. And I, I don't, I don't see them losing any of the last five games. I mean, fluky things happen, but I, I find it hard to believe that they're you know, I, I, Baltimore being that one exception where it's like, I don't know for sure, but it feels like, feels like they're going to finish strong. And then Baltimore, if they're the one seed... Yeah, we'll
1: talk about Baltimore that week, but they're a weird team. They they have one of the best records in the AFC and just aren't impressive at all. So um, I, they're, I don't find them scary in any way, especially if you can stop their running game. So, yeah. The AFC is weird. Support for this podcast
0: comes from Smart Water. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? It is weird. Uh, yeah, there's some days where it's like, do they have any good teams in the AFC? And then there's some days it's like, oh yeah, there's a couple really, really, really good ones. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> if the Packers get to the Super Bowl, they'll be favored there too. Yep. Um, so no team to preview this week. We can get into the questions, if unless there's something else you want to throw in.
1: No, let's do questions, because we have 8 million of them.
0: 8 million questions. All right, let's do it. We're uh, we're going to start with our Patreon questions. Of course, Patreon subscribers get question priority. So we'll start with Flaley Joel Osmet. Uh, are dropped interceptions fixable? Are they tracked by a meaningful statistical metric? If so, how do we really feel about the Packers' pass defense in terms of expected
1: versus actual results? So... It's tracked by a lot of places. It is hard to find. It's not really publicly available, but dropped interceptions is definitely a stat. Uh, And they also track interceptable passes, quarterbacks throw, and also by the same, they being, well, Pro Football Focus mostly, Sports Info Solutions as well, and a few others. uh, Also do track um, sort of how many interceptions a given corner or defensive back should have had uh, based on where throws ended up and things like that. So it's out there, it's a little tricky to find. it's hard to fix drops. Generally speaking, it's hard to fix on receivers, and it's hard to fix on corners too. Uh, I remember uh, Ike Taylor, who was a fantastic corner for the Pittsburgh Steelers, just couldn't catch a ball to save his life, and um, worked on it tirelessly for like a decade and never got any better at it. You can get better at it; you can improve it, but some guys just don't have it, though. However, I don't think I think the Packers have been okay at this. Um, like Eric Stokes is not great; he has hands were a knock on him coming out of college. And I think we've seen that he's not good at the catch point. He's good at being there. He's good at catching up to guys. Um, But like Russell Douglas has caught balls and Darnell Savage, uh, uh, put the Vikings game out of your mind, which everybody dropped a ton of interceptions Uh, by and large. They've actually held on. I think, okay about what you would expect them to and going forward, uh, I would expect them to get like one or two a game uh, against bad to medium quarterbacks. Uh, so I think they're okay. They're fine. I, I think they catch about what they should catch. Stokes, notwithstanding.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think all it takes one drop for people to assume there's a problem there. And I, I often remind family members or whoever are screaming, "Well, that's why you're playing defensive back because you can't catch the ball." <laughs> it's like it's hard when a when an elite level quarterback throws a ball that isn't intended for you to go up and make that catch. That is a tough thing to do. It is not. Uh, you know there's no pattern there's it's all improv it's like it's like catchers trying to catch the ball behind home plate when it's been foul tipped you know sometimes it just happens because it just it just happens there's there's nothing you can do about it if it flails away from you so uh you know that's not quite the same thing as as an interception but it's it's close so um all right pj vessels did aaron jones come back too soon it didn't seem like he was used much in the second half also how are you most wanting to come back healthy after the bye week um I mean, how are you most wanted to come back healthy after the bye week with everybody healthy? That's that would be great. Uh, As far as as Aaron Jones, I am surprised they played him because uh, very clearly they were letting uh, AJ Dillon be kind of the centerpiece. Obviously, once they get a lead, AJ Dillon should be the centerpiece in any circumstance. And with Aaron Jones hurt, I'm sure that's that's doubly true. But uh, given given their caution with everybody else, I'm surprised they only gave Jones a game. Um, But, you know, they they. I'm, I'm sure they were looking out for him, keeping his usage light, and I mean, A.J. Dillon just pounded dudes into submissions, so that's uh, that's by design.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they kept it light and they kept him on a snap count. I am surprised that they let him play, and I I suspect he kind of forced his way into this one a little bit, um, but it, we've been speculating that they've been keeping guys up till they are 100% healthy this year, and most guys who've come off, the, off their injuries have looked dynamite right away. This was not that. He definitely looked like he was still dinged up a little bit, and um, he he had he had I think at least one nice run, but he was also bouncing stuff outside that he should have turned up field and dodging physical play, and that's not a good sign for your running back. So hopefully he gets healthier over the bye and gets back to his own punishing self. Because we well AJ Dillon's obviously the truck up the middle. Aaron Jones has been good up the middle for his whole career as well. And when you got, when you start to see a guy bouncing outside, um, kind of all the time, it's sometimes not a great sign for the future of that running back. So hopefully that gets fixed.
0: Mark put asks, what are the chances the Packers are able to retain Nyman long-term? seems like a guy who, who has taken the long route to development, but he'll be an RFA after the year. Will the team give him big money after what he's shown and, or will he want to go back somewhere where he isn't stuck behind Bakhtiari and or Jenkins? I think the latter is particularly interesting. I'm not entirely sure what the Jenkins are. I shouldn't say that what the uh, Taylor uh, contract situation is, but but if he if he isn't here, uh, you assume Elton Jenkins. If he's not right tackle, is is going to be, you know, he, somebody who fills in at left tackle or whatever. Like he, he's right, Nyman Nyman snaps unless he moves to right tackle. And Taylor's gone, is are, are going to be few and far Turner. between. Billy, oh, I keep saying Taylor. I mean, Turner. <laughs> Billy Turner, who's Taylor? Patrick <laughs> Taylor, yeah. the like, running back.
1: Oh yeah, Orlando Taylor, the
0: Orlando Taylor. Uh, yes, former offensive guard. No, uh, Billy Turner. If he's not here, then yeah, I suppose they could move him to right tackle, but...
1: um, I think the big thing here is he is a restricted free agent, and I think he'll get a tender and likely be back, and I know that he just played a a good game, and he played a pretty good game the week before, but he hasn't played all good games. People are going to see Yosh Naiman tape for the whole season and not give him a giant contract, I think. Now, maybe he will play absolutely stunning down the stretch and make that a foolish statement, Um, but... I don't think we have to worry about getting priced out of Yosh quite yet. And so I think he'll be back next year on a reasonable uh, tender and they'll get another year to look at him and also look at the future of Bakhtiari and Jenkins less so, unless that injury really hurts him Um, because Jenkins is going to miss the vast majority of next season. So they will need him around to, uh, I mean, Billy Turner's tackle Yosh, by the way, probably not a guard, probably not an interior player, Um, but, uh, You need three tackles on the team. So uh, I think they'll keep him around at least another year, evaluate him, and then go from there. And worth noting, I think we've mentioned on the pod many times, he is an elite RAS guy. Um, Yosh is like a 9.99, one of the most athletic um, offensive linemen in football. So he's a guy you want to hold on to because if you can develop the soft skills with him, he will be an absolute monster. And I think we're starting to see some signs of that. So. Um, he is definitely a prospect to keep an eye on because his ceiling is super high. This is the part of the
0: player development that I feel like gets missed quite often when some, a draft guy, let's say a first rounder doesn't hit right away. There, there are obviously people who call him a draft bust and then there's the pushback. Well, you got to let him develop. And I think Rashawn Gary is a good case of this, but, but you, in a salary cap league, you only get so much time to get peak years out of those guys that you're taking in the first and second round. And I'm not saying that you'd expect every one of those guys to be elite right away. There has to be some development, almost certainly. And the player they are in year one will almost never be the, who they are year three, year four, year five. But you you can't afford a huge runway with these guys. And, and Nyman's a whole separate thing because they didn't lose any draft capital with him or anything like that. I mean, he's, he's, quite, he's a find and, and an achievement for this pack, you know, the Packers and their development. But uh, so often I just keep thinking you can't afford for a guy to really start to be good in year three because then you lose them to free agency when he <laughs> when he yep. is, you know, in his, in his peak. So you kind of need those first if we're talking top few draft rounds, you kind of need those guys to hit pretty early in the process. I feel like that gets
1: lost a little bit. Yeah, it's tr- that is tricky. And especially um, uh, the Packers, I think, are excellent at getting tackles to develop quickly. Most teams are not. Um but uh, if you ever want to make a case for drafting running backs high, they're the quickest to develop. You get um, you get elite running back production pretty much instantly. Whereas wide receivers, like, are I think the quintessential example of what you're talking about. That wide receivers are almost always bad for their first two years. Like Justin Jefferson's come along once in a while, but for the most part, year three is the breakout year for those guys, and you've lost two years of value in the meantime. So, um, and yeah, offensive linemen are linemen are kind of. Um, some A, some B, and it's hard to keep developmental prospects around on a fairly limited roster. So it's a tricky thing to do, and you can really you can snipe some good talent if you if you keep an eye out for it when teams start to get roster crunched a little bit. Uh, I, I kind of make fun of the the phrase "former first round draft pick" pretty often when you see a guy <laughs> going to a new team. It's usually um, damning with faint praise, um, but s- sometimes those guys do still work out. It's not totally unheard of. Yeah.
0: All right. Dr. Hillbilly. Are there any obvious street free agents who might be willing to return kicks and punts for us without exclusively uh, without. Oh, shoot. I lost my place exclusively running and then I, uh, I running, lost it without running laterally. laterally or fumbling. Also curious as to why these duties are often performed by different players on a given team. What separates the two return duties from one another. The latter, I think is a really good question as for the former, just anybody other than Amari Rogers, but then Randall Cobb, of course, of course, muffs a punt (laughs) that, uh, you know, so special teams doesn't get off the hook with this game. We didn't even talk about special teams. I I guess it was a better game for them, but you know, we
1: could, everybody's heard us talking about special teams. Yeah. It's boring now. It's yeah, it was, I think the one thing we should mention, I believe this was a Mason miss again, which is not great. Uh, The snap looked good. The hold looked fine. Um, Corey Bajorquez, Bajorquez, sorry. Um, if, if he was feeling like he botched a snap, didn't show it when he wiggled his butt before his last punt. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, by the way, go find that GIF. It's great. Um, so I, I think that was a Mason one. But get, getting back to this, um, mm-hmm. a, as we so frequently say, Trevor Davis, out there doing nothing right now. Tyler Irvin, out there doing nothing right now. You can go have either of them, and we should go get either of them at um so th- there are a lot of guys who can return punts and kicks. There's two just off the top of my head who would be better than anything we have right now. Um, so yes, they should go do that. As for the different skill sets, I think um, this is a good question that I think uh, is missed out on. Or it's, it's a nuanced distinction, but it's a real one. When you're punting, uh, you, want, you definitely want a more quick twitch guy because the big skill in punting isn't just like getting up ahead of steam and streaking down the field. It's usually making one or two guys miss and then running forward um, with as much acceleration as possible, like, and not fumbling. That's, that's the other big one there. Um, If you think about how punts work, it's usually one guy, one gunner down there right in front of you. And your chief job is not to score a touchdown. It's to make that one guy miss and get as many yards as you can. So that is an open field, quick twitch thing. Kickoffs are completely different. You have a 20-yard head start on everybody else who's running at you, and if you are a frail, quick-twitch guy who gets destroyed by a linebacker coming down full speed, you're going to get hurt. Um, It takes a little bit more bulk, Um, and it is much more like a running back skill of following your lanes, and um, following your blocking. It, it, it's really almost like running a running play at full speed, whereas a punt is much more a game of, like, uh, keep away. That's not right. That's a game where you're trying to keep a ball away. Like, tag. It's tag. Um, it, it is really just a big old game of tag. So completely different skill sets. And little guys on kickoffs are dangerous because if they if they don't see a guy coming, they will die. <laughs> RIP.
0: Uh, Alex Lamers asks, "Will the Lions get a win this season?" They close with the Vikings, Broncos, Cardinals, Falcons, Seahawks, and Packers.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think they will. So,
0: I also think they will. I think that I mean they've they've had some really close calls and some weird ones. I so Dan Campbell, I I I, I like him. Uh, he's he's made some curious calls uh, in the in recent weeks. Uh, my wife, as I mentioned, is a uh, uh is a lions fan, so I pay some attention to them. I do I, I do think I mean they have just completely devoid of talent, partially by design. They're they're tearing it down. Oh, yeah. They would love the first pick. They're they're not really like, you know, this is not their year to try. I think everyone's clear on that. But they 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 kind of had it put together and I feel like they're just one like sleepy say Broncos game away from stealing stealing a victory. Or I could see them toppling even the Vikings but
1: you know who's last I, in DVOA? Eh? Is it is it the Broncos? It's the Falcons.
0: Oh, maybe that's the one. The
1: Falcons are actually a threat to be the worst playoff team in history right now because they're actually alive for the playoffs and are the worst team in the league. <laughs> so, um, cheering for all that. Right. So I think th- I think they get the Falcons, who are just atrocious. Um, I also think they got a a, a decent shot at Seattle, who um, they're broken. Did did you watch the Monday night game at all? Uh, I
0: did not. I gave up after the returned uh, blocked. Uh, was it the extra point made it nine to nine in the first half. <laughs> I, 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 I wanted to watch. I just lost interest and fell asleep. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's possible. Russell gets better as time goes on here and he actually starts to actually recover from his injury, but he can't throw right now. Like he, Gino Smith is definitely better than Russell Wilson right now. And every, every time they let him go out there, they're doing a disservice. If he's still playing uh, and hasn't healed up that week, then they can beat the Seahawks because they have no offense as currently constructed.
0: Hmm uh alex lamers also asked if the patriots are actually good again related question is mac jones good should we be revising our estimates of his ceiling upward Hmm.
1: so he's okay and i think he is the best rookie quarterback this year um but they're not winning because of mac jones he's been he's been loads better than zach wilson and um and justin fields and a lot of other guys trevor lawrence um, but he hasn't been great. He's, but that said, he's smart. And that's one of the things Mac Jones is as a quarterback and people who, uh, I don't get putting a ceiling on quarterbacks based on physical characteristics because there is so much that goes into playing the position, um, it's like 80% mental and just getting the ball out accurately and making reads fast and things like that, that like being able to throw the ball super hard, it's like a a nice little gimmick luxury, but it doesn't make or break you. So like, I I know that Mac Jones doesn't look good when, you know, at the combine with a shirt off, but who cares? So what? Um, He, he had like basically the best college season of all time. and, showed that he was a you know smart player and a very accurate pass super accurate passer um th- that's how he made his bones in college so um i think his ceiling always should have been extremely high if he turns into tom brady part 2 i won't be that surprised i don't think he will because you know most quarterbacks don't turn into the best quarterback of all time but he looks a lot like tom brady looked with his first year starting he kind of does the same stuff he He's smart about his throws and checks down a lot and relies on his running game, and the defense cleans up after him. That's how the Patriots beat the Rams in their first Super Bowl of their dynasty, and that's a lot like what they have going on right now. So I think his ceiling is high. I think it's higher than a lot of people think. Um, And, uh, yeah, the Patriots are legitimately good. That defense is, I think, the best defense in football. All right. Uh,
0: Last Patriot question comes from Danny Newton. Your brother, uh huh. Hey, Danny. For a minute there, for a minute there, the Bucks were up twenty at the same time. The Packers were up by nineteen. Has any city or states NFL and NBA teams ever won by the same margin at the same time?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't look it up, but yes is the answer. (laughs) Because yes, because there have been many, many opportunities to do so, and because (laughs) most sporting events finish in a similar range. So yes, it has happened.
0: January fourth, two thousand and four. The Green Bay Packers defeated the Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs. That is the famous, we want the ball and we're going to score game. Al Harris pick six in overtime. The Packers won that game 33 to 27. That is a six point spread. That game started at noon central time in, uh, In Washington D.C., the Milwaukee Bucks opened up a game against the Washington Wizards. That game happened at one o'clock central time, so technically an hour apart. The Bucks ended up finishing off a 100 to 94 victory. (laughs) That is a six-point spread as well. So Uh, yes, it has happened. JR, doing research. Love it. You bet. I wanted to, uh, yes, entertain Danny's silly, uh, <laughs> silly little question. Uh, and I, I did find also in April of 2018, the baseball and basketball team in the state of Wisconsin had the same score. Uh, that was the Brewers beating the Marlins 4-2 to and the Bucks. People may remember this in the uh, playoffs against the Celtics. Game four, Giannis tips in a shot with two seconds left to beat the Celtics by two points. That is the night he famously could not get seated at a Beller Cantina in milwaukee yeah. <laughs> which became quite the quite the trending oh, story indeed uh, it did. potentially authored by yours truly but uh, <laughs> it was a massive massive much to do about nothing uh but yes on that night the baseball and the basketball team had a had a two-point spread that is not that long ago i did not look to see if there were more instances i'm sure there are so there it is. Uh, also, before we get to Discord questions, I wanted to shout out a couple uh, friends of mine who are listening. Uh, shout out to Tom, also other friends, Joe Rob, and uh, and Reinders, longtime listeners here reporting as eligible. But the story I wanted to tell is specifically about Tom. Tom is a deer hunter and he had mentioned that he almost missed this deer that walked straight in front of him a couple weeks ago because he was busy listening to as eligible and had gotten a little <laughs> lost reporting as eligible, had gotten a little lost in, uh, in, in listening. But then the deer showed up, shot it. It's the big Deer he's ever shot. And he's very proud of it. He said he was considering naming it Jr. Uh, <laughs> in, in honor of this whole business. But then also, I told him, "Well, now you could say that you shot Jr." So I really recommend this. I, I'm, I'm not sure where we stand on that. I think it's possible that there's some sort of mount or something with the deer's name, RIP. Uh, so um, so yeah, just thought that was a fun <laughs> nugget that I should pass on.
1: That is that is in fact fantastic. And RIP Jr. Who uh, almost who we we almost saved. JR but not quite. We tried. We tried, we tried to save it. We tried JR. our best. But uh, it is cool that we are reaching the
0: yes. Northwoods here in Wisconsin.
1: Almost saving deer but not quite. Um,
0: All right, let's go to Discord questions. Uh Jerry Eldred said assuming we don't see many more defensive collapses like we did this week, does Joe Barry get head coaching interviews <laughs> from the season ends?" Uh-huh. <laughs> uh We've come full circle. I t- I just can't bring myself to say yes to that, but
1: what do I know, you know? <laughs> I don't yeah, so, no, but also, it's a coaching tree that does sort of lend itself to getting guys opportunities, even though he's not an offensive coach. I, I don't think—it's not impossible, okay? If they finish, like, gangbusters with all these injuries and, um, you know, turn into, like, the number one defense and win the Super Bowl, uh, people will sniff around Matt Lafleur's staff, and it's hard to see anything other than Joe Barry is a huge success this year, so— Uh, probably not, but it's, it's certainly not impossible. I think it, it, it's something that could theoretically happen. (laughs) I I mean, like I'm
0: trying not to be dismayed by that because obviously Joe Barry has been great, but you know, can we give him a minute before he, he he proves that he's worthy of being a head coach? Like, you know, the, the nepotism thing still rings in my head. Like he's, he's not had success as a coordinator. It it has not worked out. (laughs) It is working out this year, a hundred percent, but like, can a guy show some track record? I mean, what does Eric B have to do to get hired as a head coach in the national football league? You know, yeah, all yeah. he's done is like have this crazy good offense year after year, after year. And still he, he just ends up in, in interview rooms, but he never gets a gig. Like there's just so much talent out there. There's so much talent. It doesn't need to go to the recycler as soon as the opportunity presents itself. You can give Joe Berry a few years. So I, I personally don't think Packers should worry about that yet, but
1: maybe, I, I maybe don't think they should worry. I mean, in a perfect world, you should definitely not hire a guy after one good season after, you know, his track record. Right. But it's not a perfect world. And what, what gets ultimately judged is the assistance of Super Bowl winning coaches with very impressive schemes. And that's what we might have here. So, yeah, I think it's not any more complicated than that.
0: Raheem Morris should be a head coach again. You know, like I, I realized the Packers just handled their defense just fine, but like <laughs> he got one shot. It didn't work out, but he's, he's coaching elite defense. Give him a shot. Let him, whatever. Um, uh, I know most people don't care about like the good of the league; they just care about the good of the Packers. So it's it's hard to ever think like that. But it is it it would be a little dismaying. Well, for Packers fans too, if they lose their defensive coordinator that's had a good season. But
1: yeah, it, I mean it's know. definitely an old boys club with old boys clubs problems that is still existing to this day. And um, Joe Barry is a living testament to that fact.
0: Yeah, and McSchlubbin says the win against the Rams was good, but was it better than watching Kirk Cousins line up behind his guard to take a snap?
1: (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Uh, I I honestly don't know. That was brilliant. (laughs) The Vikings are bad, man. (laughs) They're dumb. They're 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 just stupid. They're yeah. they're, They're 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 good, but stupid. It's hard to say anything other than that. And that was Kirk Cousins is just a dumb quarterback. It's it's weird to have a dumb quarterback because you, you you think of it as a position that requires a lot of mental processing and a lot of memorization and a lot of you know implementing things just super spontaneously with uh, un- under dire circumstances with large men trying to kill you and th- like then you go and see a guy line up under the wrong butt and uh, it, <laughs> it, and, and Kirk Cousins seemingly just is spacey you know it, it it's just a, a strange thing to see a quarterback who performs at such a high level uh, on, on a regular basis, be kind of a space cadet. It shouldn't it shouldn't be possible. but uh, it, it's it's really great to see uh, I, I actually I forgot to grab Paul Allen's um, call on that and gotta go find it now. Um, but yeah, it, watching I'm gonna watch it like ten more times because it's it's just incredible. you You never see anything like it.
0: I've got to think that Paul Allen is self-aware that he is a bigger he is more beloved in Wisconsin than most places because we we just love to eat up those Vikings moments. I would also say that in the fog of a 2-minute drill, I'm actually surprised quarterbacks don't line up like, oh, uh, behind the wrong guy more often, you know, they're trying to read the field and get the play and all that like they just they're just going where they, you know, like muscle memory and it's not always the right spot depending on the hash and stuff. I I like how Jerry Jerry Eldridge chimed in. We just lost to that guy referring to cousins. So I wouldn't laugh too hard <laughs> after as, after good, we've laughed. Good point, Jerry. <laughs> and if we are Wisconsin football fans, we did just see a team put out the punting unit on fourth and one deep in its own territory when it was. too uh, late. In the so like, if we're talking about play, you know, brain fog, eh, we've seen our share. So uh, Alvo, <laughs> Alvo said, what position out of long snapper kicker and punt returner is most likely to see a new face before the end of the season? I mean, long snapper is one of those things where you occasionally will get a guy who had, has been on his couch all season long, and then he shows up in the postseason, yeah. and he winds up playing elite elite f- for for top teams. I want to say it was with the Giants not that long ago that it happened, and his, his uh, it was a bad snap. This might be like 2004, 2005 territory, but it was a bad snap, and it actually cost the team the game. So uh, so there's also that end of it. But I feel like that's the type of thing that you could get. You could get somebody off the street in, a, in a, with the snap of a finger.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. But I, I think Wordle had a pretty good game um, after struggling mm-hmm. a little bit in the first one. And I think it's punt returner just because uh, they were obviously pretty desperate putting Randall Cobb back there and clearly fed up with everybody else. And then two things happened that make it so Randall Cobb probably won't be back there. The muff is one thing. But then... He has a groin injury. We probably should have mentioned that uh, up top, too. Um, Randall Cobb got hurt in that game. Yeah. um, And Devondre Campbell has COVID. And Devondre, yes, and Devondre Campbell has COVID. There's your injury update. It's two weeks away. (laughs) We'll revisit that next week. But um, they're not going to, I think, Randall Cobb's pretty important. I don't think they're going to risk him back there after seeing him get hurt and muff a punt. So I do think that they will look at people to put back there um, because. They they kinda have to. Amari is just not working and there's not anybody else to do it. Um so yeah, that that's my answer. Punt returner. Malik, Malik Taylor's not healthy, so they don't really have other
0: options. They kinda have to they're kinda stuck unless they bring somebody in. So uh Jerry Eldred asks <laughs> Jerry. again, does Le, does LaFleur have McVeigh's number?
1: Um <laughs> uh, I mean I think he kind of, think he kind of does. Um, yeah, same coaching tree. And uh, one of the things that's different about McVay and Shanahan, and and Lafleur leans more to the Shanahan side, is McVay does more um, out of the same formation. Um, they go with eleven personnel like ninety seven percent of the time, and just do a lot of moving people around. It, it, we used to call it in praise the illusion of complexity. But if you spend enough time watching tape or if you worked in that offense and understand how it works, you can kind of see through the illusion um, and, and get down to the simple plays that they actually run fairly regularly and know what's coming. Uh, I think that that is why Matt LaFleur has his number. And uh, I think that will continue until Sean McVay actually gets a little more creative with his offense. Could see him again
0: here in the postseason. Yep. That's a very real playoff you know, I, I still need to crunch the numbers to see what it's going to take to get Mike McCarthy in, in green Bay for a a showdown with the Cowboys and what, what the likelihood, the odds are of that happening. Maybe that's a bi-week, a bi-week project. I I undertake coffee addict says, where do you see Nyman playing? Once Bakhtiari comes back based off his performance, it would be a shame to simply keep him on the bench. I mean, he ain't going to be a guard. He's not your center. So he's either left tackle or right tackle. If Bakhtiari and Turner are healthy, he's on the bench. That's just the way it goes.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I, I do think if there is an issue in t- inside that they want to replace, that they bump Turner inside and put Nyman outside. Sure. Uh, Turner ha- Turner does play guard and can play guard. So that's what happens there. But you're right. Um, if everybody's healthy, he's just the backup tackle, and that's that's fine.
0: We have not talked probably nearly enough about Billy Turner and the job he's done this year at right yep. tackle. It's been very, very solid. And I think the Packers, I have to think at this point would be loath to move him inside unless it's a total disaster in there. And they have, they have stuck with a couple guys, uh, Newman and Patrick who have had their low lights. Very so true. I think they're fairly happy with how things have gone or at least happy enough. So uh, I, I, I mean, I think it'd take an injury more than I think it would take an injury fourth. too,
1: but injuries happen pretty often all the time,
0: every game. <laughs> Every game. All right. Uh, Let's move on to Twitter questions. Ryan Ziegler starts with, I know you all haven't asked for questions yet for uh, uh, sort of reading the the, the live, the 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 in-the-moment live reaction. (laughs) Compared to Eddie Lacy, how does AJ stack up so far to date? Compared to Eddie Lacy. I feel like
1: this is a a Matub question. It's a shame he's not here. It is a shame he's not here. And he's, okay, he's not knocking at the door either. So, um, pretty good, really? Um, Comparing running backs is always... um, splitting hairs a little bit unless there's if some guys just getting stuffed all the time but we wouldn't be asking the question so um aj dylan averages um 4.5 yards per attempt for his career so far uh we'll get to the big difference in a second um eddie lacy um over his first two seasons was about the same um and apologies my my f- pro football reference decided to do th- his first three seasons instead of his first two seasons. So that number's bad. Let me just do this real quick. He was 4.4. 4. AJ Dillon's a little better, better there where AJ Dillon's been way better than Eddie Lacy is in past in, in, yeah, in, in catching the ball in the passing game. Generally, um, Eddie was a game blocker his first year. He got a lot better his second year. Um, and, A.J. Dillon has just been um, a pretty solid blocking back in addition to being awesome with the hands. So um, I, I think other the vol- Eddie's got volume on him. You know, A.J. Dillon's played a lot lately, but Eddie Lacy was kind of uh, the workhorse pretty much right away. Um, so there's that. With an increased workload, we'd probably see A.J.'s efficiency go down a little bit over the course of a season. Um, but it's hard to understate how good he's been re- as a receiver. He's caught like 95 right here um yeah he's caught like 96% of his targets this year <laughs> which is almost impossible even for running backs catching short stuff and he just punishes people when he catches the ball out wide it's just it's a joy to see when that happens so um I'd say he's a better all-around weapon and he's gaining he's out gaining Lacey on a per play basis just a little bit so he's good we've talked about people
0: know the story that you know you do, it is the position of this podcast that you don't waste high draft capital on uh you know on a running back but uh you have to acknowledge even though even though this doesn't just prove the point and has nothing to do with it in, in, in reality the Packers have done a good job drafting running backs you know Aaron <laughs> Jones wasn't a top pick but Jamal Williams before him who is you know, one of Detroit's better best players. Uh he's the, those two guys worked out very well. AJ Dillon has worked out very well. I mean Kylan Hill's a, a late round pick, so that's not quite the same thing. But well saw some flashes from him before he was injured. They've done they've done a good job with that position.
1: Yeah. Aaron Jamal Aaron and Jamal, I think, were both fifth rounders, were they not? Oh, um, uh, I thought Jamal was a fourth rounder. Maybe he was it was rounder. the same draft, right? It was same draft. Maybe he was a fourth round. Ra- you're yeah, right. I yep. could be wrong. I think you're right. Okay. Um, but, yeah, um, and our position has always been, even if they're good, it's not a good idea to draft running right. backs early. It's just better if they are good. Um, but, yeah, uh, that should not take away from the fact that A.J. Dillon looks like he's good. And, you know, it's better to have good players than bad players, yeah. even in positions that aren't necessarily super important. Um, also, worth noting, uh, uh, you know what, I shouldn't steal um, Archon's thunder, but uh, I know he's working on a piece right now about how rushing this year is actually more valuable than it's been in like many 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 years in the aggregate. Um the EPA hmm. for the median EPA for rush, rushing is uh, has gone up, which is an interesting little fact too. Interesting, interesting.
0: Uh we'll see if that continues with Derrick Henry <laughs> out for the remainder of the season, but uh he was there he was you know, he's been out a couple of weeks, I guess. Jonathan Taylor, a big reason why let's yep. go.
1: A lot of, by the way, the Patriots too are a big reason why who, uh, mm-hmm. of late have turned their running game into something pretty dominant. Uh, Jeffrey asks, is Rogers better playing with
0: Nyman at left tackle because he doesn't trust that he will have time <laughs> forcing him to play within the structure of the offense. and do less dumbass hero ball. Should Nyman have continued to start at LT and Jake gets a guard to move Newman out. I, uh, I maybe partially subscribed to the idea that, and you've said this already on this podcast that, that Rogers forced to play a little bit out of system is a good thing, but like y- you mentioned it, he's uncanny at moving around in the pocket, yeah. like his ability to escape pressure. Like he just knows where everybody is. It looks so easy on TV because we can see that dude coming around the blind side about to, about to light him up. But Aaron Rodgers, he just like delicately gets away from guys They're, it, there, there's always like a half second before I, I keep, I think he's going to be sacked. He's going to be sacked, but I always give Rogers a little extra time in my head because I know he's so good at that. So even though, you know, I don't know if that speaks to whether or not the the tackles are good or not, but like I, I just, you've really got to respect Aaron Rogers ability to evade pressure there and make something happen.
1: Yeah. I think it might be Rogers single best skill, accurate passing maybe, but his ability to move and buy time in the pockets kind of unprecedented. Um, his, his mobility is just phenomenal. And, um, I I do think he he can't get into bad habits when he can sit back there. So I do buy into this a little bit, um, and it doesn't hurt him that bad. Just because he does like if Nyman lets a guy get a little bit of push on him, Rogers will evade um, as long as it's not up the middle pressure. He'll he'll be able to work around it, and it might even speed up his clock a little bit. So um, I, I would say a qualified yes in answering this question. I think he maybe does play a little bit better with a little bit scarier tackle out there, um, but. Uh, uh, it's also hard to say that Niven was too scary. Like, nobody really got around him in this game. Uh, Aaron, I don't think, was having his clock sped up on that side. So, um, yeah. 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 And I mean, Alton Jenkins, I mean,
0: Rogers best week was against Minnesota. Elton Jenkins was there for most of that game. So yep. I, th- I think I don't know if I'd necessarily connect the two, but, uh, you know, Rogers Rogers is very good at this. Michael Drew asks, what might a public university legally go? How might a public university legally go about replacing its head football coach with the program's <laughs> current defensive coordinator without per se firing said head coach? Hypothetically, <laughs> no particular program in mind. <laughs> we were just talking about Wisconsin football. Although he's not talking about Wisconsin of football. Of course he's not. Hypothetically it's yes, not.
1: Hypothetically.
0: Uh yeah, so this is, reminds me of a of a line from Succession, my favorite show right now on HBO where uh there's a character Cousin Greg, a very famous character who wants to sue his uncle and he's like, "Is there a way I can like sue him, but sue him like nicely?" I forget exactly what he said, but he like, basically, I, I want to sue him gently so that he like still likes me and stuff. <laughs>
1: you can't. Yeah, the answer is it can't be done. In it cannot be done. Sports. Got to fire him. And sometimes if if you have a long tenured baseball manager or something like that, you can promote him upstairs. That does not work here at all. Yep. <laughs> C- can't do it.
0: Uh, although I will say if anyone in the world were were to were to say, you know what, I just kind of want to not be head coach and just want to do the offense would be Paul Chris. Yeah. <laughs> He's so chill. It's still not going to happen. Brett Smith. Uh, this is a question in response to Matt. Oh, do all pros actually matter? How many more seasons do oh, we no. have? before year money at Stenovich? Dude seems like a miracle worker after yesterday.
1: I think his first oh, okay. question so is are- mutt. I, I think his first question is a Madden question. So, Oh well, uh, we can't answer we can't, that. Unless no idea. Started playing Madden. Yeah, so I did not start playing Madden. Um, Brett, okay. uh, we'll we'll let Matt know. He'll get back to you. He's trapped at a hillbilly bar right now. So um, we didn't
0: even mention that Matub is in here, did we?
1: <laughs> no, because we thought he might come in, and maybe he still will. Um, oh, but no. uh, but he has not yet. So yeah, Matt, uh, Matt is Matt is stuck without a car somewhere at the moment. Kansas, baby, Kansas, um, All
0: right, so the question that Brett asks, then again, how many more seasons do we have before teams throw money at Stenevich? Dude seems like a miracle worker after yesterday. That's a good question.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, and you know, if they win a Super Bowl uh, and or just get really, really far, the answer is probably one. That's how guys get on radars. It's you know, it's a copycat league. Guys from successful trees start to get attention, and uh, p- people notice when when units that are under under talented perform really well and look at those coaches, especially on successful teams. So um, y- you don't have long um, if this continues and it'll be sooner rather than later. It all depends on their success. So um, maybe as soon as next year.
0: Oh, uh, we should point out he is a Marshfield native. He is a Wisconsin guy. So that ties into it a little bit. I mean, he's also coached uh, in Michigan, Arizona, San Jose uh, in the, uh, in the college rank. So obviously he's, perfectly comfortable leaving the Midwest uh, was with the 49ers before he came to green Bay, but um, you know, maybe, maybe they find a way to promote him or whatever. I feel like the, I'm saying this off the top of my head, but I remember profiling all the assistant coaches on the super bowl team uh, after the 2010 season. I feel like not many of those guys moved on to necessarily bigger and better things. I think James Campen is on that staff, mm-hmm. but uh, Joe Witt was kind of the star of that staff. Oh, yeah. And really. He he was kind. I think he was in I don't remember. I don't want to say it off the top of my head and be completely wrong, but um he might have been a defensive coordinator, but I don't know if he even got that high. It was a it was it was sort of odd that way. I don't know. Uh Ben Saylor asks, Well, will Mason Crosby get back into a groove, or is it more likely that this is his last year on the team? I think both are possible. I think he could get back into a groove. I think it also might be his last year on the team. I, I I'm starting to come around
1: to that possibility yeah i think there's a strong possibility that that happens and um i do think he will likely kick better going forward i think that the unit looks better and mason just needs to start trusting it and kicking like he always has um but i do think there's a little bit of age showing there too and it's going to be tough to pay him because their salary cash their their salary cap strap next year um and he's not coming off a great season. I don't think they want to get paid based on his history. So um I think it is his last year on the team, but I do think he'll be better going forward. So a little little bit of plus, a little bit of minus.
0: David asks if the Lions will win a game this year. We already went yeah, over okay. that. Yes. Shlan Connery says, Do Rhaegor and Ayuk look better in Green Bay than their current circumstances if they had fallen to us and we took them? He's talking about the the draft in yep. twenty twenty. Um how, yeah, Brandon Ayuk has kind of fallen out of favor a little bit in San Francisco. Is yeah, that right?
1: It, it, that's, they, that is correct. And they don't seem to know what to do with him. Um, but I think that Brandon Ayuk is very much a, a typical receiver. And the 49ers are not good at using typical receivers. They use a bunch of weird hybrid running back receivers like Debo. And that's what they're best with. Um that matters more for them than for the Packers because the 49ers don't have a real quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is bad. And I think Ayuk would be a lot better if he had a competent quarterback throwing to him. Um, He would look better. Jalen Ragor, I think is actually not very good. Um, I will, I will, I will go on the Hill. I, I didn't understand the hype on him coming out of college. Um, He was a bad uh, Rops guy. Um, He was not productive with his touches in college and then he had a bad combine. A lot of people say he was hurt, and maybe he was hurt. Um, but he, I, I don't like, I don't like the type of player he is coming out of college. I don't, I don't like. Um, Debo Samuel is like the one exception to this rule, and if you can find one, God bless you. But there's only one of them. Um, most of the time, these guys don't work out. Uh, Lavisca Schnault is the other one from that same draft who is very similar, uh, and also has not been very good. Your upside's just not very high, and uh, if they're not special athletes, and neither Chenault nor Regor are, um, it it really doesn't work most of the time. So, uh, yeah, I don't think Regor looks any better in Green Bay. I think he looks a lot like Amari Rogers.
0: A lot of people, understandably, beside themselves, that the Green Bay Packers did not take a receiver early in that draft, and, and, you know, the Jordan Love Love thing is baked into that, but, uh, you know, I don't know which of these guys you really feel like they missed out on. I mean, I, I think uh, Chase Claypool is the easy one. He's, he ends up going kind of in the middle of the second round. So I suppose, and, and Justin Jefferson is a guy that I think a lot of people thought would fall yeah,
1: to Yeah, that's the one I was he, hoping for.
0: Uh, yeah, he, and me as well, but also because I thought all those other guys would go early. It seemed like that was going to be the guy in their
1: spot more than anything else. He also had the best uh, ROPS score from that year and also an elite athlete, an elite Raz for Justin Jefferson. And that worked out. That is, exa- is exactly what he was.
0: Yeah. Obviously Henry Ruggs uh involved in that terrible car accident and yeah. uh is not on a team.
1: No. Jerry Judy
0: hasn't been a whole lot. CeeDee Lamb is okay for he's the for Dallas. Scouts, yeah, by the way, good.
1: I still love Jerry Judy and uh he has been much better than Cortland Sutton since he's been on the team, but uh that offense just isn't very good.
0: Yeah. Michael Pittman is in there uh with the Colts. Uh he's he's okay. T Higgins yeah. another one. Yeah, I mean like he's okay. Yeah, Chenault, like you said, KJ Hamler, eh, you know, never like KJ
1: Hamler, too small.
0: Chase Claypool might end up being outside of Justin Jefferson, might end up being the best of this draft class <laughs> at wide receiver, yep. which it was considered an unprecedented talent, talented receiver class. It's, Chase Claypool and Justin
1: Jefferson, by the way, the two most athletic people in that draft. So, um, hmm. Raz is sometimes trust. a good way to go.
0: You trust the science, I see. Mm-hmm. If the Packers wind up as the uh, two seed. Instead of the one, this is a question, by the way, from Jonathan deal. If they end up as the two seed, what regular season rematch in the playoffs would worry you the most? The 49ers Rams or Vikings? Uh, I'll let you answer this one. You always have good answers to these sorts of things.
1: Uh, This is tough because the easy answer. uh, So the Rams, they seem to have done quite well with even when undermanned. And I think they can do it one more time. Um, I, I, I think they do have the Rams number a little bit. And if the Packers are healthier, I think they'll be fine. Aaron Rodgers seems to be able to to go through that defense. I think the one I'd be most worried about is actually the Vikings. Um, They are stupid, as we've mentioned many times, but they are very talented underneath that stupidity, and they can jump up and get you every once in a while like they did last week. Um, So there's something to be worried about there. They they have some good Packer-neutralizing talent as well, um, aside from Justin Jefferson, uh, and Adam Thielen being able to pressure the off-corner. Christian Darrisaw has played really well on that line, which is quite upgraded from last year. Uh, well, yeah, kind of. Better Better left tackle, um, worse on some other ways. Um, and their defense is good. Uh, I think good enough. The 49ers are um, scary, but I, I feel like we always kind of have their number two um recently not, you know when they had the the super awesome Richard Sherman defense that's a, that's a different story when they went to the super bowl that year they don't have that anymore their defense is not all that and they are a bunch of smoke and mirrors and Matt LaFleur knows how all those smoke and mirrors work so uh they're not i think the vikings are the scary one because they're just a high variance um like they they're the they're the hulk they're they can't control themselves at all but uh if you catch them on the wrong day they'll smash you good
0: hmm. Yeah. And, you know, obviously once you get to the playoffs, it's not like you're getting a cream puff in the first round at at any juncture. And and it's going to be fascinating at this top four. And it might not shake out exactly like that with the the Packers, Buccaneers, Cardinals and Rams. But those are those are four pretty good teams. And I think uh, I think that'd be a heck of an NFC. You know, an NFC Final Four, sure, it'd be nice to get those games at Lambeau Field. But we've seen in the past it doesn't necessarily matter for the Packers at Lambeau Field in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, you know, like
1: I'm, I'm not sure yeah. I want my games at Lambeau Field, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, uh, like I feel like Aaron's getting to the old man stage where cold starts to hurt you a little bit. And uh they, they run a precision passing game. They're sometimes better in domes. I, I almost like them a little bit more on fast tracks, although, you know, if it's really bad, I do like the AJ Dillon team over the basically anybody else. So they got that. Well, and also you've got a field
0: goal unit that has been so off this oh, year. Like, too. I mean, and that can be true in any environment, but you want one less one less variable if you can get it.
1: Yeah, I don't want anything impacting their confidence in the playoffs either. Um, uh, I want I want ideal circumstances for kicking for for our special teams.
0: Yeah. So if they have to go back to Tampa, would you feel okay with that?
1: No, that's different because Tampa's awesome. <laughs> All right, yeah.
0: avoid Tampa, whatever, whatever yes. it takes. Avoid Tampa. All right, last question is from Big Rig. Why is Alan Lazard? He's
1: having a he's he is having a rough go of it. He uh, is not strong at the catch point right now. Um, he's he's dropped some catchable balls, and it has not been good. He's still a good blocker, and that's why he's out there. But at some point, he's got to catch stuff. And I I don't know how to explain that decline. He has been a good efficiency receiver in small sample sizes for a couple of years and it has just his hands have just uh, deserted him completely so um, not good they really do need production uh, past Adams and Cobb and that they're really not getting it from anybody right now hopefully one of those guys steps up might be Equinemius who has looked good for a couple weeks in a row and maybe is putting it together a little bit that would be nice to see. Yeah, the
0: the two guys that were really the revelations last year, Ellen Lazard and Robert Tunyon, one has been ineffective and one has lost for the season. Yeah. So it's they have found a way, and Randall Cobb, oddly enough, is one of the ways that they've replaced that production. Uh, credit to GM Aaron yep. for uh, for finding finding that gap.
1: But, yeah, uh, AJ Dillon's really the other one. He is having a a, sim, a season very similar to what Tunyon did last year, just never dropping a ball ever and uh, like always getting ten yards out of it. That'll that'll get you far in life.
0: So what, what do you think it is? What's preventing them from moving Alan Lazard to tight end, like straight up? Um, he
1: can't, so it's because he can't block big people on the end of the line, like a tight end sometimes needs to do. I mean, he, he basically is, he's like a Travis Kelsey tight end who never ends up, who never lines up on, on the end of the line. He is always a wide receiver. And when he blocks, he blocks like a wide receiver. Um, so he, like he plays that tight end position. That is his job. Um, like we can call him a glorified tight end because he plays the he, pl- he plays the Kelsey tight end. He just can't, right. he can't play the Mercedes tight end because he is still quite small for that position. He he's about thirty pounds too light to actually play that position.
0: Okay. Shout out to Mercedes Lewis just because, yep. and uh, yeah, oh, that's uh, the last of our shout, questions.
1: Shout out to Mercedes Lewis, but also. Uh, maybe secure the ball a little more next time. Mercedes Lewis yeah. was just carrying it out there um, way, way, way too exposed. And luckily <laughs> did not lose the fumble when he fumbled.
0: Yeah. uh still a couple balls on the ground. <laughs> it's been, you know, a couple of the, the special teams goofs. It's just uh, it still feels like uh, even uh, all the nice things we've said that they have not yet played a perfect game. So uh, so maybe that's maybe that's coming after the bye. Yep,
1: indeed. <sighs> all right um well we will be back next week with um essentially a podcast making fun of the bears so Ce- celebrating yes. celebrating the packers but making fun of the bears um previewing the actual bears which will also involve making fun of the bears um just lots of making fun of the bears frankly um (laughs) (laughs) it's really kind of the brand of reporting is eligible it's packers and making fun of the bears yeah that's pretty much right uh at least one of the entry songs and exit songs for that podcast will be my song about the bears quarterbacks it'll be a lot of yeah good times (laughs) so before we do that jr anything to plug
0: no, well, sure. I,
1: I, I, I would like to plug your Bucks podcast because. Uh, oh, okay. I sure. Because I mostly because I didn't know we had um, Demarcus Cousins before I before I saw that. There it is. Yeah, Demarcus <laughs> Cousins. He.
0: Uh, reports right now that he'll be available Wednesday night uh when the Bucks next uh, next hit the floor. So, yeah, uh, my weekly podcast with Jim Ozarski, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel beat reporter for the uh you know, Milwaukee Bucks. We uh, we come out on Tuesdays, so we are here again on Tuesday with the Point Forward podcast. You can check that out in the usual places. And then uh, also I'm working up a story about uh, a guy, 26-year-old guy named Cody Schmidt from Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Threw a nine hundred series. If you're into bowling, uh, three perfect games in a row, which has been done uh, about, I think, I think thirty-seven times before in U.S. history. He's the fourth guy in Wisconsin to do it. Uh, this is a fairly new-ish phenomenon. The first time anyone threw nine hundred in a sanctioned league was 1997. So this
1: isn't uh, just it's ball like
0: technology. Sax. Exactly, exactly. But it, but also the the technology is such that. These things are just easier to come by. I mean, easier in quotes, it's still a remarkable achievement, yeah. but you know, like there's just uh the, the the reactive, the resin reactive balls make it make it a little bit easier to just pound strikes. But uh still to throw thirty-six of them in a row uh
1: is kind of kind of
0: ridiculous. Yeah, so that, we're gonna, working on the story there. That is nuts.
1: Okay. Um as for me, I have my Shepherd Express um column up right now, uh re- recapping the Rams game, uh previewing nothing because it's the bye week. Um and uh right. I am working on a piece as well on um, on Aaron Rodgers' propensity to try and throw bombs on third and short uh, instead of picking up the first down, and whether that's actually true or whether it's something that we just notice because it well seemingly never works. And I will tell you preliminarily that um, it seems to not be true that uh, Aaron does take his shots on third down, but seems to actually convert third downs. Short, short third downs about as frequently as all, every other quarterback does. So um, they may know something we don't. Uh, anyway, more on that uh, as, hmm. as it comes out. Yeah, because I, I get mad. Every time I see Aaron take a shot on third and short, I get hacked off at it. It just bo- bothers the hell out of me. Just, just get, get the first down, get three more downs. But uh, they they actually seem to do a pretty good job on third down. So I'm, I might be wrong. Hmm. Anyway, Fascinating.
0: I am intrigued to read it. Yep. I all right. love
1: Acme Packing Company. <laughs> so, oh, um, that, but and is is that online or is that just the Shepherd Express? That will be online. That'll be at uh, Acme Packing Delightful. Company later this week Beautiful. when I finish it. Um, all right, um, that that will do it for us. We'll be back hopefully with Matt next week. Hopefully, you got home safely, <laughs> and uh, we we'll talk to you guys after the bye Let you choke,
0: let you choke, we all that you choke, that you choke.